And now this from the book of Romans, chapter 13, beginning in verse 11. Besides this, you know what time it is. How does now the moment for you to wake from sleep? For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Well, here we are gathered on this first Sunday of December, and this year also the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is the season of preparation for Christmas. It's the time we are beginning to prepare our hearts and lives to receive the great gifts God is offering us that we celebrate at Christmas time. Our forebears found it important to have a season of preparation, a time where we were thinking ahead, reflecting on the past, looking at the present, looking forward to the future. It's a time where theologically Christians proclaim that God came to earth in human form, or at least all of God that could fit into a human, the fullness of God that could come came in Jesus of Nazareth. We call it the incarnation or the embodiment of God's heart, God's nature as far as possible in a human person. Now, it's a radical idea. Now, for those of us who grew up in the church, maybe not so much because we've heard it year after year, but imagine if you were hearing this idea for the first time. That God somehow had come to earth in a person in human form? It's a profound notion that God has come seeking us in a person. And yet some who heard it, particularly those within the community of faith, the Jewish community of faith, Jesus' community, found it outlandish. In fact, the man who wrote the letter from which we read this morning, this letter to the Romans, He's one who found it outlandish. In fact, it was worse than that. He found it to be blasphemy to suggest to the Jewish theological mind or the Jewish faith community that God Almighty could somehow come to earth in a person was just out of beyond consideration. That man's name was Saul. He was a Pharisee. And he was zealous about his faith. And when he heard this idea that these Jesus followers or Christ followers were proclaiming what God had done in this person, Jesus of Nazareth, he decided that must be stopped. He devoted his life to stopping it. He was able to get the authority to pursue throughout the Roman Empire any who were proclaiming such a thing in synagogues and bring them back to Jerusalem for trial to make sure that they stop this blasphemy. Well, while he was on his travels to do just that, he had a life-changing experience. He met the risen Christ as he was traveling around and it changed the trajectory of his life 
Saul the Pharisee later became known as Paul the Apostle, the Apostle of Christ. He continued to be zealous, but now to proclaim the message that he had first been pursuing those who were proclaiming it as if they were criminals. Paul's life changed dramatically when the truth of the Incarnation grasped him fully. Advent is a season to help us prepare ourselves for this life-changing message. I am glad that you're here this morning. I hope you'll be here each and every week of December during these four Sundays of Advent leading up to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. It will be a wonderful time to be here together, but it might also help you receive the fullness of God's gift that is being offered to you. Now Paul, before he was a Christian apostle, was a little bit of a negative guy, at least from the Christian point of view. He was angry and he was zealous and he was after those proclaiming this message In the book of Acts, it says that he was breathing threats and murder against those who would be disciples of the Lord. It made me think of all the negativity we endure these days. I don't know if people have always been this negative, but certainly since the coming of the 24-7 news and media cycle, it seems like we hear more and more and more negativity. It's on our phones. Anytime we turn them on, we see it on our laptops, on our tablets, on our televisions, in our newspapers and magazines. We hear it on the radio. It is all around us. I realized recently how many people are making a living criticizing somebody else's work and efforts. You not only hear it in politics, I like to listen to sports talk radio when I'm driving around town, I'm in the car for a few minutes, I will turn it on. A lot of those people in the sporting world are making their living criticizing those who are actually playing the games. And I kind of understand it in terms of professional athletes and sports, but it doesn't stop there. They feel free to criticize college-age kids. Not only that, locally, I heard a radio talk show host just recently when I was driving one day and flipped on the radio talking about a high school football game. And he had chosen one player that he felt like was the one that had cost his team to lose. And he spent about 20 minutes attacking this young man. Now this is a high school student. He named him by name. He raked him over the coals for one play. And I sat there thinking, this is not fair. This is not right. This is not honorable. Why do we allow such harsh criticism from an adult attacking a teenager? We would not allow that in other settings and circumstances. But I'm afraid we've become desensitized. That we've heard so much negative talk that we're just used to hearing it and we kind of ignore it. But think about if you were featured on the radio someday. They chose your name. They had followed you around. They chose one thing that you did and decided to name you and then spend the next 20 minutes telling people how terrible you were. We would not want that to happen to us. We should not want that to happen to our kids or our grandkids. And yet it happens all the time. 
at all kinds of different places and levels. I think we've become desensitized to more humane values or you might say Christian values. And it takes us in the wrong direction when that is the focus. But Paul's words call us back to a healthier way of living. In the passage we read today, when he's talking about what he observes in his own culture and society, he says, let us then lay aside the works of darkness. Let us lay aside the works of darkness. Then in the next verse, he tells us what he's talking about. He names six of them, reveling, drunkenness, debauchery, licentiousness, quarreling, and jealousy. I think it's safe to say that those were on the top of Paul's list. That's what he saw in his culture at that time. And he was against it. He wanted excessive drinking and for the ignoring of moral standards to stop. He knew there was a better way to live. Now, I was a little surprised that he had those last two on the list. Under the title, Works of Darkness, he had quarreling and jealousy. Those first four, those are pretty easy for us to all get on the bandwagon. But it hits a little closer to home. I don't know about you, but have you been in any conflicts lately? Had any quarrels with anybody? Have you felt a twinge of jealousy? When you saw somebody else doing something that you hadn't done or enjoying something that you wished you could enjoy but had not, it strikes a little closer to home. Paul calls them works of darkness. And there is a common theme that weaves throughout them in that they are all six of them self-seeking behaviors, but Paul points out they are self-destructive they're destructive to yourself as well as to others. Paul says, lay those destructive behaviors aside. There is a better way to live your life. In verse 12, the second part of that, he gets to this positive focus. And he says, put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day. Put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day. It's a better way to live, Paul is saying. Who wouldn't want to live a life of honor? Is it not better to live with truthfulness and honesty and integrity rather than being underhanded or manipulative or dealing in untruths? Paul says it is a better way. It reminded me of a time when I was pastor at a different church and a man in my church came to me, he'd called and said, I need to come talk with you. We set up the appointment. He comes to my office and he begins to sort of tell me his life story. I didn't really know the details. But he began to tell me that how early in his life he had fudged a little on this and then stretched the truth here and then just began to outright deceive people in his business and then he said it began to seep into his personal life and his social circles. And finally, he said it infected his relationship with his wife and his children. And now he was in the midst of a crisis. 
He said the burden became too much. All the lies and manipulation were too heavy to carry. And he was ready to cast them aside. And in fact, he told me he'd begun to do so, that he had begun to come clean with people. He'd begin to, begun to make amends with those that he had done wrong along the way. He was ready to change his life. He was focusing again more on his faith and asking God to help them make this change and move through this. Now, he didn't exactly put it this way, but I believe it summarizes what he was saying to me in Paul's language. I believe he had decided to live more honorably. That he wanted a different kind of life than he had experienced. And he shared in this confessional moment with his pastor that he was beginning to feel a greater sense of freedom and release that he was feeling healthier and more whole now that he was making these more faithful decisions in terms of his christian life and walk maybe we all should think about how we live and how we can live more honorably paul gives us some more help because Paul gets more specific and says the best way to do this, to live more honorably, is to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. To lay aside the works of darkness and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Our learned biblical scholars say that this language probably comes from the early liturgy of the church around the baptismal covenant. They say this language of laying aside or taking off one set of behaviors and putting on Christ implied that you're putting on a new set of behaviors, that you're committing to a more positive set of behaviors in your life. If you pay attention to those questions we read when parents come for baptism or when individuals come for baptism, as one did earlier in the service at 8.30... We ask these questions. You can hear the dynamic that Paul is talking about. The first question we ask is, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your own sin? Then we ask, do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? And then finally, we ask this question. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior? Put your whole trust in His grace and promise to serve Him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races. You hear the dual dynamic of renouncing one set of behaviors and taking on another set. Paul summarizes it in verse 14 for us today. He says, instead, and he's referring to these works of darkness, instead of those, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now he's detailed this for those who are reading this letter straight through in the paragraph right before where we began to read today. Back up in verse 8, he's written this, Owe no one anything except 
to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul is echoing the teachings of Jesus. Love of God and love of neighbor. Those are the two keys in terms of our Christian life. Love of God and love of neighbor. Oh, no one anything except that love. Now, oh, no one anything except to love one another has a lot of meanings. He's talking at one level about financial debt, perhaps pertinent to all of us living in a country where billions of dollars will be spent in the next 30 days on gifts and toys for people we know. And Paul is saying, don't overbuy. Don't overspend. Don't put yourself in debt. Probably he wasn't talking about American Christmases, but you get the point. (laughs) Owe no one anything. But he's not only talking about finances, he's saying don't overpromise. Don't make a commitment to somebody that you know you cannot fulfill. Don't put yourself in that position. Owe no one anything. Of course, he's also talking about not allowing yourself to be compromised. Don't get involved in a situation where you're stretching the truth, or you're doing something wrong or illegal or unethical, where later you owe somebody because you're caught up in their scheme or their plan. Because if you owe them something like that, then you're not going to be able to love them and will the good for them. Owe no one anything except to love one another. This is the beginning of Paul's recipe for a life of love, for a Christian life, for someone who wants to be a follower of Christ. And what Paul is saying is put on Christ, put on this armor of light, for in fact it will protect you because it will take you down the right path, a path that will lead to, to lead you to love and light, that will lead you to salvation, that will lead you to abundance and wholeness. It leads you to the place where you get to experience and receive the gifts of God. So we're going to be working on this recipe all during Advent. The first step of the recipe is this week, start with light. Focus on light and right. These are going to be really relevant and practical steps that any and all of us can take over these next few weeks. It's going to be a great way to prepare ourselves and our souls to receive the fullness of God's gifts that come to us at Christmas. I hope you will plan to participate. I pray that it might be a beautiful and a magnificent Advent for every one of us. Amen.